place to be is falling on your knees, offering ourselves to the Lord. Thank you for that offering music, Nisi and Noah. Well, it's already been said, but happy Father's Day. So all the fathers in here can just blow a sigh, take a sigh of relief and relax because it's your day. The wife and kids will do anything that you had to do. Take care of all your responsibilities so you can just relax and enjoy the day for a change. Isn't that right? It's supposed to be that way if it's not. Um, I want to just start with, you know, different people take on different idiosyncrasies and dads have idiosyncrasies. So I want to start out with top. The top 10 things you'll never hear a dad say. 10. Well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. Nine. You know, Pumpkin, now that you're 13, you'll be ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? Eight. I noticed that all your friends have really bad attitudes. I like that. Seven, here's a credit card and the keys to my new car. Take it. Go crazy. Six, what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating not good enough for you, son. Number five, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party while we're gone. I did that one time and got caught... Number four, well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Probably one of those doohickey thingy-majiggies, you know. Just take it to the mechanic, tell them to fix it. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Number three, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. Number two, what do you... What do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend. (laughs) And what's the number one? Father's Day. Ah, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. We'll see. Well, as we address fatherhood this morning, it's, it's hard to address a topic of fatherhood without talking at least a little bit about what's going on in our culture. And we are a man, we are aware that not just fatherhood, but underneath that structure, that manhood, among other things, is under attack in our culture. And of course, it takes a man to be a father. Uh, one article that I recently read claimed that the words to be a man or be a man Be a man are the worst words, this article said, that you can say to your sons. Be a man. Another article said that it's okay to hate masculinity. Uh, There's a lot of hurt in our culture over this thing called manhood. And we live in an era where emotion, emotion is more important than fact. And opinion is more important and truth, and we're seeing it all the time in the news that people just want to be heard and they want to express their emotion and what they have to say. And they want action to take place based on these things when they get upset. 
As Christians, we know that masculinity and femininity, femininity are beautiful things. They're gifts from God. They're very, very intentional. And they have a place in our lives. They have a place in this world, in this church. They're for our enjoyment and they are for us to glorify God in return with them. And like any gift, uh, masculinity and femininity can be used for evil. But its intent is to be used for good. So I would say that rather than obliteration, perhaps tweaking and correction would be in order. But sometimes culture gets so mad or we can get so mad at certain things that we just want to. We're done with it. I'm done with that. I just say all of this as a reminder of how difficult it can be in today's culture to uh, to be a father, to look forward to fatherhood, to look forward to being a man or being the man of the home or or taking ownership and taking responsibility over your own children and leading them and guiding them. Those are things that the Bible calls manhood uh, properties. And it's hard. They get challenged in our culture. Our culture is becoming unfriendly towards these things. I remember growing up uh, as a child, um, the big thing was every there's always something under attack. But the big thing was, well, the family's under attack. The family's under attack. And of course it was. And then it got a little more specific. Marriage is under attack. And of course it was. And uh, divorce became rampant. And then it was marriage is under attack because now we're facing same sex marriages. And and that was true. And it just just keeps getting more and more Uh, specific, more and more specific categories within the family unit have become over under attack. And and it moved from marriage uh, just more recently into gender. Now, gender is under attack and some hold that gender is fluid. There really is no basis for it biologically that each individual, um, no matter what sex they're born, can just decide what gender they are and be that gender. And so there's just all these things, all these ideas um, and ideas have consequences. And the culture is just throwing us one challenge after another. And sometimes it's hard to to take it all in in the process and and regain our footing and our standing. So we come to God's word this morning to do that. You know, I think with all this animosity uh, against um, manhood and really even fatherhood, I have to wonder how much longer will Father's Day even be celebrated in our culture based on the traje- trajectory of things today. I mean, if we hate masculinity and we don't train boys to be men, what could the future hold? I guess that's yet to be seen. But the thing I like about being a Christian is that you don't follow culture, you make culture. And that's what Christ calls us to do. Like when he says, when Jesus says, I want you, my children, my disciples, you be salt, you be light. What that means is you go into the culture, you change it. You shine the light on where there's darkness. You you preserve whatever goodness is left. And... To change culture, culture often starts within the household. It often starts not just in the home, but with dad. With dad. It's a powerful, powerful thing just to be a father. At least it certainly can be. 
We want to spread the salt on whatever we can, whatever's good there to preserve. God has a plan for fatherhood. He has a plan for us fathers that are fathers today. He has a plan for the fathers of the future. Whatever God establishes, it's always a good thing. And so I think it's a good thing to take some time this morning and talk about fatherhood. Fatherhood is such a powerful thing, in fact, that the way we parent will affect generations down the road, three to four generations, 50 to 100 years. And not in the fact that we're in the Old Testament it talks about the sins of the fathers will be passed down. That's been done away in Ezekiel from from generation to generation. But fatherhood is such a powerful thing in God's design that the way we father the way we influence our children, build our children, or, or the part that we play in their formation is so powerful that the effects of our parenting, for better or worse, will be felt from 50 to 100 years down the road. I mean, that's a powerful influence that God has, has given to us as gifts. It's sobering. It's, it's hopeful. It's all those things. The way we redirect the culture often starts at home and it often starts with dad. And, you know, there's all these statistics. Sometimes I take the time to read them. But I know that you're aware of the importance of a father that's involved with his children, involved with his family. Like All these tests have been done and questionnaires and your children when you're when you're involved with your children in what I like to call biblical fatherhood, but involvement uh, less likely for teenage pregnancies, less likely for your kids to be involved in drugs, better chance for them to, good, to get good grades. I mean, just uh, less of a chance for them to, to do jail time. I mean, it just goes from one thing to the next. And the obvious is that dads that are involved, dads that care to take the time to love, protect and direct as God would have us, it bears fruit. It bears powerful fruit. Not just in your home, but in the culture at large. Pays huge dividends, even for a nation. Focus on the Family told a story, and it's been decades now. But this greeting card company got this great idea to go into a prison and offer to the prisoners free Mother's Day cards on Mother's Day. So they went into this prison. And they offered to the prisons, prisoners free Mother's Day cards. And it was a tremendous success. Prisoner after prisoner took them up on the offer and they sent cards to their moms on Mother's Day. And it was such a success. They said, let's do the same thing for Father's Day. And so the same greeting card company went into the same prison and they offered the prisoners free cards. Send your father a card. And not one prisoner came forward. And a lot of them didn't even know who their fathers were. I mean, this is real life stuff. This is what happens. This is what's going on in our world. And people suffer from a lack of biblical fatherhood. And I mean, how often in our culture, sure, in the church you do, and in amongst conservative institutions, sure, but, but in the culture at large, how often do you actually hear fatherhood encouraged? 
How often do you hear it as something good to be sought after and to be attained? It's so rewarding. It's so satisfying. We rarely see that modeled in today's culture or today's media. And we're a huge entertainment people. You know, add on top of that the the new syndrome that they've labeled where young men don't even want to grow up. To be dads, to be husbands, to really be anything. They just, I'm a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up. And they call it uh, Peter Pan syndrome. And it's a real thing. I know that in my culture, and I know you have to be careful with cultural norms. We want to go to the Bible. But in my culture, you were expected to grow up and be a man. I mean, you just it was an expectation there. And it was a challenge that you had to take. And nobody wants, you know, yeah, responsibility is a hard thing. And it's hard to run right into the midst of it and grab it by the horn. Sometimes we, our tendency is to resist taking responsibility. But it just was something I thought, well, you know, you got to do it. You might as well do it right. And then it became something that you look forward to and you saw the benefits of taking responsibility. And we live in a culture where that's not encouraged and young men want to stay. Uh, they want to play. We see it. We see it in family life. We see it in the lack of marriages, not just marriages that don't last, but marriages that never happen because people don't want to grow up. Take a response. If I get married, that means I'm responsible for another life. A person. It's too much. Or to get married and then to have kids and I have to share my things. I have to share my time and my resources. And it's exhausting just thinking about it. The whole mentality that our culture has is not really fatherhood friendly, is it? Fatherhood is often mocked and ridiculed in much of the media today. And you come away with with the idea, at least when I watch the movies and things like that, you come away um, and there's some good there's some good ones out there, to be fair. But you come away with the idea that dads don't really know what they're talking about. They're just a checkbook. They're just the bank. You go to them. You manipulate them. You just bring them along because they're a necessary thing, you know. But mainly you just get money from dads. You don't look to them for leadership. And that goes from the wife and the kids. They're just provisions. So what you see mostly is that men or fathers, they're, they're followers, not leaders. Just there along for the ride. And that is so... Opposites, antithetical to what God designed and what God teaches in his holy word. So I think as negative as we can find things, and I'm not complaining because we had a Sunday school lesson about that. I'm just making an observation about fatherhood. But as negative as we could we could be. There is always, always, always hope in God's word. That's what's so powerful about that. No matter where you are in the spectrum, no matter how far away from God or how close, we can always repent and change and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, and I'm living for you. And so even in the midst of negativity, I I carry this message with great hope and confidence in God's plan and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful thing. To watch biblical fatherhood. And aren't we privileged to watch it even amongst ourselves in our own congregation? 
I mean, we, I've been in this church a long time since it was started. Just a, a young man myself, hardly knew anything about God. And I have watched fathers, men embrace biblical fatherhood and, and bring God's ways and laws and, and love and grace to their wives and to their families. And I have watched tremendous fruit, God's order, God's peace, God's love in households where men took the lead. As God would have them to. And we get to watch that amongst ourselves. We have some powerful, strong families. Of course, none are perfect. But we get to see God's word in action. As opposed to families that we see in the world being torn apart. We get to see things being put back together. Reminds me of Genesis account. Where everything was dark it was chaos. There was no rule. There was no order. And God, by his power through fiat, just spoke creation into existence. And all these little rebellious, if you will, or disorderly molecule cells or the nothingness that was there just came together and was fit and, and, and fashioned. And then he created man and, and, and woman and they were to be come together like glue. It's orderly. It's strong. It's powerful. And that's what Christ would have for us in our families. The enemy would love to tear us apart and bring us back to chaos and nothingness. And God, the Holy Spirit, wants to bring us to healing so that we can live lives that glorify him. I said all that and you still don't, unless you read the bulletin, which I think would be about one percent of you. You still don't know where we're headed in God's word. And we're going to head to the book of Proverbs. I mean, you can turn there, but I'm going to take little scriptures um, from all over the place. And and I'm just going to rather than go to Ephesians four and some of these other popular um, verses for fathershood. And there's lots of meat there. Just going to kind of take an overview approach and pull some principles out of the book of Proverbs that are there for dads to, to learn some lessons. I'm going to look at five. There's more than that. But I'm just going to look at five lessons this morning for dads. It's a conversation dads have with their sons in much of this book. And I just tell you, it's not fluff. You know, it's, it's kind of deep stuff. It's not just dads, take your son to the uh, take him camping and take him out from ice cream and everything will be good. No, Proverbs goes deep. There's more to fatherhood than that. So let's look at five Principles. First, fear God. You could say lesson number one. Teach your kids to fear God. Proverbs 1 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then Proverbs 9 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When it, call, when it comes to wisdom and living before the Lord and knowing what's right and wrong, all of that, according to this book, starts with a healthy fear of God. Fear the Lord. And this is a father teaching his sons. Of course, it's father, son, but it can be applied to daughters as well. Use your imagination. Fear God. Everything we do in life should be done under the attitude that we fear God. And that word really means two things. First, it means to have to throw tremendous reverence at God, to adore him, to see him as something very majestic, huge, powerful, worthy 
of all adoration. So if our children are to fear God, how do we teach them to fear God? But to show them how big of a God he is. To show them how worthy he is. That we would live every second of our lives for his honor and his glory. So we have to teach them about God, the character of God. I think a good place to start would be with the omnis. And we talked about those in Psalm 139. God, that means we have to bring to our children who God is. He's omnipotent. He is all powerful. There is nothing that exists that is even closely as powerful as God. And, and we want our children to know this as they're experiencing the world and they're growing up and as their minds are developing into that mind, we want to pack the truth. Your God is to be feared and your God is a powerful God. He is alone in his power. He's so powerful that he brings everything that we see and hear and taste all of this that we know as life. He brought it into into existence with just a snap of the fingers, really just a spoken word in a matter of seconds. From nothing to everything. He's so powerful that he walks upon the clouds. He's so powerful that kingdoms, entire kingdoms with their armies fall at his word. And he's so powerful on a personal level that he can cause the lame to walk. He can make the blind see there's no sickness that he cannot speak into and heal if that's his desire. There's nothing in this world that he can't tackle. Our kids need to know that because they will face things in their lives, as we do, where they think there's no way out of this. I can't tackle this. This is impossible. Oh, God is so powerful. And because he's so powerful, he's worthy to be worshipped. Fire can't stop this God. Water can't stop this God. He's not scared of anything. He's a superhero of superheroes, I guess you could say. So he is omnipotent. We want to teach our kids that. Give them something, a reasons, truthful reasons why we do what we do. And then he's omniscient. We need to know that. That God is with you wherever you are. He's with me. We can be in two different places and he's up there with bed in bed with you. You know, he's there and you don't have to be scared. And he's down here with me and mom and dad, wherever your bedrooms are. He's just everywhere. I'm sorry, that's omnipresence. I messed up already. He's, he just knows he knows you're there. He knows I'm here. He knows everything. He knows whether you brushed your teeth or not. He knows what color your toothbrush is. He knows your favorite foods. He knows your favorite colors. He knows right now what you more want more than anything in the whole world. Right now, whatever it is, he knows it. And he knows your greatest fears. There's nothing that escapes his knowledge or his noticing. And he's omnipresent. So he... No matter where we are, you're sitting back there up here. He's there. He is limitless in where he can be. There's no boundaries everywhere at the same time. So kids, no matter where you are geographically or no matter where you are spiritually or intellectually, God's there with you. And he knows exactly what you're going through. And he's powerful enough always to do something about it.
So we're teaching our kids how worthy he is. And, and on top of that, you have his justice. He's a just God. He doesn't sweep wrongdoing under the rug. If somebody does you wrong, God knows about it. He's working on it. And if you do somebody wrong, the same goes. Nothing goes unnoticed. And he's so holy. There's not a, ever a time that he has ever even thought about doing something evil. Had not one single bad thought of disobedience or rebellion or malice. Nothing. He's perfectly innocent and pure and holy and he's gracious. That means sometimes he gives us things and we didn't even ask him. We didn't even deserve them. They're just there. Beyond our wildest dreams. I mean, all this. I mean, I could go on and on. All this is just like scratching the surface of the God that we worship. And he's a sovereign God. He's a sovereign God. And so when we read all these headlines about bad news about this and bad news about this. And don't eat that, it'll kill you. And don't go there, that'll kill you. And, and there's no future and the, the warming and the weather. And, I mean, everything you can imagine is against you. God's sovereign. He's got it all under control. It doesn't threaten him a bit. Yeah, we go through seasons. Sometimes it's really bad and threatening. And sometimes it couldn't get any better. God's in control of everything. And he wrote the story. He wrote it and he's conducting it as it should go. He already knows the future and it's good. You don't have to worry about these things when you're his children. I mean, God is so worthy of our worship and our praise and and. And God says to dads, instill these things into your children. They need to know them. They need to know how worthy I am. So that's the one side of what it means to fear God. And then the other side is the part where you, you shake a little bit because he is a just God. And because nothing goes unseen and he's just, he punishes evil. There are consequences to our actions. So we can expect when we go off the path that justice will come to us. And God is a God of wrath. And because he's so holy and pure, pure it displeases him when anyone does anything wrong under the sky. Because there are consequences, he'll judge us if we're guilty. And it saddens him that our sins cause so much pain in our own hearts and in the lives of others. And it displeases his heart. He's a God that has a heart that can grieve. Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, God, cried real tears. Really got sad over the sad things of life. And so we want to avoid displeasing this God. So let's just fear him together. Fear him together. Worship him together. You see, part of dad's jobs is to teach their kids to fear the Lord. So they understand why people are lifting their hands around them. Why people are on their knees around him, bowing before him. Why people shed tears in his presence. Because God is so powerful and so worthy. And by the way, they will follow our pattern of worship. We don't want to talk big about God and then live small because they'll follow the living small. Example is so important. Practical thing. 
I'm reminded of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 as a practical way to worship God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And some of you guys have claimed this as your verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. That word trust comes from the word that means lie down in submission before God. So to trust God, it means you're just like the offering song. You're just laying your life before the Lord. You're smarter than I am. You're more powerful than I am. You know all things and you care about me. And you're, you're willing to guide me in my steps. I'm just going give to you, give you my life. Here, it's yours. That's what it means to trust God in this verse. And that is a practical way of how we can worship Him. And how we can live in fear. They go hand in hand. You know, when God is feared rightly, there is no sin. So we go in and sin, we're not fearing God. So fearing God is where it all starts at the beginning. It's the most crucial lesson. And then next, guard your heart and your mind. Dads, are we teaching our kids that? Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart. This is what this father says to his kids. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. You know, as fathers, we have play a part in the responsibility to guard our kids' hearts. And that means we have to uh, play a role in, in filtering what gets in there. If that's, if that's the river of life for them, if their heart determines their actions and their thoughts and how they're going to live their life, then we need to filter what goes in there. And that's part of the protection there. So we want to filter the corruption and and the evil, and we know that there's a sin nature, but we don't want to feed it with anything unnecessary. Now, that's a formidable job in this culture, isn't it? To try to guard and protect the hearts of our kids that are bombarded with things that are ungodly. We got to filter the TV. You know, we got to filter the computers and the websites. You know, these things aren't innocent anymore. Cartoons aren't innocent anymore. I'm sure you've noticed. They can be as raunchy as anything else. The website so evil is always lurking. And dads are to be there to protect, to keep an eye of discernment out, to know the hearts of their kids, what they can handle and what they can't handle. And it might be different for each child. You know, just a simple billboard might catch you off guard these days. There's so many things out there. That want to rob our children of their innocence. I remember, um, you know, as a family, we had to wrestle with this stuff when the kids were little squirts. And so, you know, what's out there that's a danger to them? Uh, We try to prepare them for different things. And just going shopping at a department store to a mall, you're going to be exposed to all kinds of things that kids don't need to be exposed to. So we would have talks with them and and uh, we'd we'd have to train them. What, what to avoid and to turn their heads around. A lot of times, um, to, to show my age, department stores didn't always have nude models and nude pictures or practically nude, you know, up in there as advertisement into the, in the ceilings. It wasn't always that way. It just kind of evolved that way. And so we'd say, we gotta, we gotta watch our eyes even when we go in here to this department store. 
We've got to guard our hearts. And I remember um, the kids picked up on that and it affects boys and girls in different ways. Pictures and visuals. And sometimes the girls would say um, they would help protect their brother's eyes and help protect their daddy's eyes. Don't look, daddy. Don't look. Don't look over there, daddy. And that was so precious to me because they had been taught that way. They knew the dangers of it. Guard their hearts as parents. Guard them from the things that we don't want to get in, but yet open the door wide to the things of virtue. The kindness and expose them to the things of God. Faithfulness. We want them to, to drink that in as much as they can. It's not just about all the no's. It's more about all the yeses. The, 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 the yeses. The thoughtfulness and the honesty and the love and the loyalty. So are we teaching them to fear and to guard their hearts? Proverbs 4, 3 and 4 when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. And he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. He, he wanted to expose his son to the things of God. That's part of fatherhood. We're going to church because I want you to be exposed to the things of God because God has promised that his presence is in the praise of his people. He's promised that he's working in the house of God. And I want you to go and see what it's like to live before his face. And so you have all these opportunities to explain what's going on, why this person's crying or why this person's so excited and to hear the praises and to hear the the prayer requests and to see that life can be hard and people wrestle with faith in God. It's it's not an easy ride, but I want to expose you to all this truth and all this reality so you can know God for yourself. That's part of guarding a child's heart. And then three. Teach your children to obey their parents. Proverbs 1 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's Teaching. So mom and dad there play that role. And then chapter two, the first five verses. My son, have you received my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding? Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's a fancy way of saying, do what I say, son. I'm teaching you God's word. It's the truth. I need to do what God says. You need to do what God says. It's coming through me. Kids, do what I tell you to do. Because it comes from God. And we know the first commandment with a promise is, honor your mother and your father. You see how God has, has worked into the fabric of society Honoring your parents and he's teaching you all these things come through your parents by God's design. So they need to be taught to obey. Now, that comes easier for some kids than others, doesn't it? Don't you have some kids that for the most part, I mean, they they're desirous to obey. And then others, man, they don't want to obey anything. And they're just going to give you a fight over Every little thing. And so scripture says in cases like that, in order to be taught to obey, sometimes we have to exercise discipline or the rod of correction. 
There's different ways to discipline our kids, but it's all to be done in love for redemptive purposes. Now, the rod of correction isn't a tool for for parents to get rid of their anger or to vent their vengeance or I'm going to get you back because you hurt me so much and all these things. It has only a redemptive value to it. It's teaching. It's it's actually a tool of love, because if you keep going in this direction, it's just going to get more and more uh, painful for you. And so a little pain here will prevent bigger pain down the road. It's an act of love. We use it all the time in real life. It spares. The Bible says you actually are sparing a child, maybe even their life. There might be a time out. It might be a spanking. It might be a natural consequence where you don't have to do anything because they got hurt on their own accord in their own disobedience. But discipline is a deterrent. You know, parents are the first line of defense. Parents are the first teachers. They're the first policemen. They're the first courtroom. They're the first judge. And hopefully the last that a child will have to face under bad circumstances. You know what I hear a lot of teachers say today? You hear it more and more and more. I do more discipline and correction in my classroom than I do teaching. Now, what could that possibly be a reflection of? Something at home that's not taking place. It's an important thing, and it doesn't just affect the family at life. It affects whatever that person is around, whatever that unruly person is around. So, fathers, we want to teach our kids to fear the Lord and teach them to guard their hearts and teach them the importance of obeying the authorities that God has placed over them as parents. And then fourth, teach your children how to select their companions. You know, it's a natural thing and it's an important thing. And you know how important friendships are. Kids in our church, they're always forming friendships. Always. Even the, the, the littlest ones, once they get out of the, the, when they start crawling and everything is mine, 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 mine. Then they actually don't mind sharing a little bit if it means they can have friends. And the Bible says, yeah, it's a good thing. You just need to train them in it. You need to teach them certain principles so that they will avoid dangers in finding their companions. Because it's very, very important. My son, Proverbs 1, 10, 11, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. The Apostle Paul puts it very bluntly. First Corinthians 15, 33. And you've probably heard this many times. Do not be deceived. Don't live naively. Don't live dreamily. Bad company ruins good morals. Kids are very, well, we're all impressionable, impressionable, but kids in general are very, very impressionable. We know that. So we have to be careful who we allow to impress upon them. There's, there's constant coaching, guiding that goes along this. You know, we'd like to think that, well, my child's the exception to the rule. My child can hang out with the gangs and go to the bars and go to the parties and win them all to Christ. And yet Scripture says, actually, the rule is uh, your friends don't rise to your level. You sink to theirs. Now, it can happen the other way. 
And it's not that we're excused from being salt and light. We have to we have to venture out and take risks, but all with the truth that you got to be careful because bad company corrupts good morals. I um as a kid, I know this firsthand. Because I would get in with the bad crowds. You know, I'm sitting in class and they're giving you all this work. I'm just a kid giving you all this work. And I'm thinking, well, I could I could go the route of being the studious one that takes pride in doing their homework and handing in the perfect paper. Or I can be the one over here that gets the attention with the class clown or the class troublemaker. And it was an easy answer for me. I didn't like studying. So I took, you know, and and you get in with the bad crowd. And the fact of the matter is, there's people that are a whole lot worse than you are, and they drag you down. I got drugged down. The people that my parents said, don't hang out with those kids. Guess what I did? I hung out with those kids. And I'm just telling you, you know, sin is an adrenaline rush. Doing bad things, throwing a rock through a window, it's exciting. I'm not going to lie. And then not getting caught, trying not to get caught. You feel like you've really just won a victory. I did this and I didn't get caught. But I'm just telling you, in the long run, it is a bad idea. It catches up to you. Just being honest. Bad company does corrupt good morals. This also goes for within the Christian community, not just out in the world. You know, as parents, we have to know our children's hearts and know that even within the Christian community, uh, some of the Christian events aren't even really particularly Christian. And some of the people that attend those events aren't particularly Christian in their lifestyle. Maybe they're having a bad day or something. But we have to be careful with what we expose our kids to. So we want to ask questions and not just assume, oh, it's a Christian event. Yeah, I want you to be exposed to the things of God. And then they come out, come away learning things you didn't want them to know. You want to know. Oh, so and who's going to be there? What kind of supervision and what's the schedule? It's just asking questions to make sure it's all legit. And sometimes there's awkward moments, even within this church, the own, your own church family, because there were awkward moments in our families growing up because there were certain kids, for whatever reason, that my kids didn't get along with. And there are children that with other people do just fine. But when you get these two people together, they bring the worst out of each other. Some people just do that. It's not they might both be Christians, but it's actually really not to their benefit that those two particular people get together. They can get together with anybody else. But these two people, they bring the worst out of each other. So we would have to be like a monitor. Well, you can spend a little. It's okay in a group setting, but I don't want the two of you alone. Because you get in trouble or you fight each other, whatever. So that's all part of teaching our kids about the right companions. And then lastly, Sexual purity. Our kids need to be trained to control their bodies, which is exactly opposite of what the culture is teaching them. Whatever your body wants, whatever you crave, whatever you feel, just do it. You have every right to. But they need to be warned. 
that these things are common. They need to be warned about self-control. They need to be warned about their own bodies and the different developments and the stages and the different urges that are going to come. The Bible says be proactive in these kind of things. Be on top of these kind of things. So we're training them what to look out for in this area. We're training them about the importance of sexual uh, purity, what to do with their great temptations and their urges. And so here's how Proverbs chapter two puts it. Like I said, it goes deep. This father just speaks very openly and bluntly with his kids because he knows the corruptions out there. He knows what they're going to see. Dads can't be there all the time. So you just got to know your kids are going to be exposed. It's changed a little bit. But chapter two, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her past to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So if you're going to tell it like it is, there are people out there that are promiscuous and they're up to no good. Male or female works both ways. And you just need to know and be discerning. you got to be careful. Because there are people that want to drag you in. And according to this, there are consequences to sin. And there are some, some sins that you carry with you. We can be forgiven from, for things under God. But there are some things that just impact us the rest of our lives. And so we want to be very careful with these glamorous promises. And this father is saying, you know, the ones that are up to no good and that are promiscuous, you know who they're going to go after? The ones who don't have self-control. The naive ones that never learn to turn their heads or to say no to these things or to take their thoughts under control. They're the ones that are going to fall. So you need to learn from day one the different temptations and urges that you will have Self-control. Now, this is hard in a sex-saturated culture where sex is the answer to everything. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's the message. Sex, good sex is the answer to everything. All our problems are solved. Message here. And kids, kids grow up thinking that. And then you read all these horror stories of, of sexual experiences that kids have in elementary school. Because they're growing up thinking, well, I'm supposed to do this kind of stuff. That's what the culture teaches them. They need to know the truth. And that includes, even within the church, this idea that sex is the answer to everything and sexual utopia. Because sometimes within the church, we teach our kids that if you just, um, well, I can't remember the slogan, but uh, keep yourself or stay pure. What? Why wait? I think maybe that's what it was. Anyway, we teach our kids, look, you just stay pure. And when you get married, you'll have a sexual utopia because you obey God here. Is that true? The answer to everything is by is just staying pure. And then all your problems are answered because you have your sex life will be off the charts. Is, Is that what the Bible teaches? That there's a sexual utopia. Sex isn't the answer to everything. Just not. We have to be careful. Even within the Christian community, it's a whole lot more complex than that. It's a relationship thing. It's not just one thing you pull out. The whole relationship has to go into it. That's why we fear God. That's why we guard our hearts. That's why we learn to obey our authorities. It's a whole package. Choose our friends wisely. 
Now, it just so happens that statistically speaking, believers have better sex lives. But I would venture to say it's because of their faith in God and all of the virtues that play a role in the entire package of a relationship. It's got nothing to do with just the the one entity. So we want to guard our children and teach our children these things, not make promises that we're not in control of. So there's some good practical lessons and principles for us to be reminded of as fathers this morning. Five lessons, if you will, to guard our children's hearts, teach them to fear God. So are we doing these things? Maybe it's a good reminder. Think about what's out there and then what's in here. Are we doing these things? This is what God calls us to. The walk that he has for us. And it starts right here. With dad. So I pray that God would bless the preaching of his word to the fathers in this place this morning. And we do. We love you. We honor you. We appreciate you. And I do believe, I guess, at the end of the service, there's a little table set up. Small token of our appreciation for dads to enjoy. I don't know exactly what it is. Some kind of treat. It's a surprise. But. The hunters had something to do with it. I think not the hunters, the Roberts, Hunter and Shelby. And so, you know, it's going to be good. It'll be worth the years and years of fatherhood. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.